This episode of Story Institute's Ramblin' Verser is brought to you by Timeless Tales. We bring you travel and fun, creating new stories in your life. Enhance your stories now. because of a deep and appreciation and respect and love for the art of writing and because I feel that I have something to say. Well, hello there and welcome to episode three of Story Institute's Rambling Verser. I am John Murray III and joining us today will be the voice you just heard, Jill Eisnoggle. We also have our usual cast, Murray and Terry. Thank you for joining us and on with the show. We start the episode as we usually do with a quote. This one is from Emily Dickinson. To live is so startling, it leaves little time for anything else. There are many things that take up each of our days. Writing should be one of them if if this is what we truly enjoy. Our interview today is with Jill Eisnagel, and she is the winner of our first poetry contest at Story Institute. But she is is also an author who has written about, about scenery, about love, about friendship, about family. And uh, we hope you enjoy this conversation today. Again, if you have any feedback for us, uh, visit us on our site. Uh, supply a comment to, to the podcast itself, uh, either on iTunes or on www.storyinstitute.com. Send us a message at ramblingverser at storyinstitute.com or give us a buzz at 615-713-1783. Before we begin our conversation, Terry is going to share with us uh, Jill's award-winning poem. Terry? Thanks, and here's today's poem of the day, Ship of Gold by Jill Eisnagel. My heart is the captain for a ship of gold. Our mission is something special to behold. Together my boat and I span the high seas. We ride through the turmoil with the greatest ease. Clear skies form to greet us and welcome our cause. There's no hesitation found to bring us pause. So onward we go, though the dawn turns to night, our destination firmly fixed in our sight. Alas, we've seen struggles through which some would fail, but my ship and I are destined to prevail. No rock neath the surface or force from a wave could make us believe our course is not to save. My ship and I know what we can and can't take. Such trust and assurance leaves calm in its wake. When the stars appear, come the moon's bright, brilliant glow. Toward our final port call, my ship and I go. My heart is a captain for a ship of gold, yet found in the cargo there's something quite old. A masterpiece which has lived through tests of time, a gift for the ages still well in its prime. Some call it a blessing reserved for a few, yet when we dock portside, I'll give it to you. The gold in my cargo is love evermore. My dear, I will see you when I reach the shore. We're here with Jill Eisnagel, and she's going to share with us today a little bit about writing and what her passions are about writing. Jill, thank you for joining us, and welcome. Thank you, John. I'm I'm happy to be here. So tell us, why do you write? I write because I respect, love, and appreciate the art of writing, and I feel that I have something to say. My beliefs are strong on many topics, and I think that it is imperative to compose our own beliefs in such a way that they are written for the reader's benefit as opposed to our own, because if we don't write for the reader, we don't accomplish what we're trying to say. 
You have two books on poetry, uh, Coastal Whispers and Under the Amber Skies. Tell us a little bit about one or the other. I am proud of both my books. Coastal Whispers, my first collection of poetry, was written in the mid from the mid nineteen nineties to mid two thousand three. Mid nineteen nineties, I began writing as a teenager. From nineteen ninety four through two thousand three, I wrote roughly four or five poems a year just for fun. In 2003, the Space Shuttle Columbia crashed and broke apart over Texas, and I live 20 miles south of NASA, and the disaster touched this whole entire area, and I felt I needed to do something. People were taking flowers to NASA and cards and balloons and supported the astronauts and their families, and I said, I need to write something. So I sat down and I wrote a tribute to the astronauts, which I posted on my website at Author's Den and had a few people contact me in regards to designing websites with that poem with pictures of the astronauts and music and fancy designs. And over the course of the next couple of years, that poem on those two websites had about a million hits. So I'm proud of that. How would you describe your writing? The focus of my writing takes on various forms because I write on so many different topics. I have a knack for taking a situation, whether it's an email that has been sent to me of somebody requesting a poem be done for a certain occasion, or if it's something written as a result of a tragedy or some some news story. I have a knack for sitting down and writing what I'm feeling about that situation. I have even been known to look at a picture and write a poem based on what I see happening in the picture. That is what I think I do best. Who inspires you to write? My family inspires me tremendously. They sacrificed so much for me as a child. They had to sacrifice their time, had to work multiple jobs just to pay for my medical bills. And through my entire writing path, from writing my first short story as a second grader all the way through the path I'm taking now, they've always told me that I could be anything I wanted to be, I could do anything I wanted to do, and they have been tremendous, tremendous inspirations to me through every step that I have taken. I am also inspired by my former teachers, especially my second grade and sixth grade teachers, just because... In rural Ohio, where I am from, you have to make do with what you have, and the school systems don't always have the same financing as, say, schools in the capital city or along those lines, and it is difficult for them to teach the kids when they don't have the same capabilities as other teachers in bigger school districts, so they inspire me. Both of my books are dedicated to my former teachers. Generally, the strength I view in other people, and humans are often stronger than we even give ourselves credit for, and of course the you know, tragic situations and feeling that I have the, the ability to write something that can give a person a reason to smile when they're having a bad day. All of those things combine to inspire me. And as I mentioned earlier, I'm even inspired sometimes by seeing a scene in a picture and sitting down and writing a poem about it. Yeah. 
Yeah, and each one of those brings brings a different sense of its inspiration uh, you know, that that you can personally connect with, but also that your readers can connect with, uh, because you you had mentioned uh, they're uh, they're personal, and 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 people can can read it, see something else, but but they can also take a little bit closer look and see see what you see in there as well. And I think as a writer, that is very important. I think if you sit down and you write and you don't put that personal aspect into what you do, then you're just a writer. If you put your heart and soul into what you write, it shows in the eyes of the reader. Because if you write something that you feel passionate about and you feel strongly about and you dearly love and appreciate, the reader's going to pick that up. The reader's going to be blown away by it. Right. In some regard, in some regard and degree. So, was there was there a turning point for you where you where, where you said writing is for me and and I want to write poetry? In 1994, I had left public school and had begun homeschooling, not because of any issue with public school. Just my parents and I were moving every 13 weeks, and it was difficult being in six or seven different schools over the course of one school year. So, in the beginning of the seventh grade. I was homeschooled. One of my first school assignments was to write a poem. And my mother handed me the assignment, and I threw the teenage virgin of a temper tantrum. Hmm. I said, I can't write a poem. This is a crazy assignment. This is the dumbest thing in the world. But what did I do? I wrote the assignment. I, I sat down and I wrote a poem. Looking back on that poem now, I laugh because I see no form. I see no flow. I, But... I wrote it. I got a good grade on it. And from then on, I was not hooked to the point I am now, but I was somewhat hooked in writing poetry. From 1994 through 2003 in January, I wrote maybe 10, 15 poems. And once the Space Shuttle Columbia exploded and broke apart over Texas, I, for some reason, decided I like poetry. I started researching it. I started looking at different forms and reading others' poems online and getting involved with authors then and that sort of thing. And in the year 2003 alone, I wrote 183 poems. And since 2003, I've written over 1,300. It's quite a bit of inspiration that, that, that you encounter. Yeah. So uh, speaking of other inspiration, what authors inspired you not only to to, to, to want to read more, uh, but but to write? On the poetry line, I dearly, dearly love the works of Emily Dickinson and Robert Frost. My work has been put up against the work of Emily Dickinson and all of the major poets from time to time, and it's it's a comparison that I don't think is fair. Uh, they were great in their time using tools that I wouldn't even imagine how you could sit and write by a lamp and not have you know, actually electricity and write in the way that they had to write because that was the time then, just as I would not expect them to sit here in the 21st century and understand the Internet and everything technology-wise that we have today. Yeah. Thus, I don't think the comparisons are fair, but 
who am I to judge? Both of the books that you have out that that you have out now, um, both Coastal Whispers and Under Amber Skies, were published not necessarily the traditional uh, path where you you find the agent, you you find the you find the editor, you find you find the publishing company, but you published uh, through a site called Publish America. Is that is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Do you want to tell us a little bit about uh, about Publish America? Uh, when I chose Publish America and the alternative publishing path, I did so because it was at the time the most cost-effective and simplest way that I could see of getting my work published and out there. As a relatively new writer just beginning to learn the pathway of promoting my work and publishing, I was aware that I'd likely have to build a following for my poetry before I could have the wide success that I had hoped to gain. And at the time, while really realizing this, I did not want to invest a small fortune into publishing my books because I knew with no following, my books would likely not sell, and thus I'd never get my money back. And realizing that the return on my books would likely be slow to come, I felt still that I should publish them because I felt I had something to say and could make a difference in doing so. So speak, speaking of uh, of publishing and, and following and what you have to say, you know, just looking at your Authors Den website, you do have quite a few reviews on, on there. How, how, does that, how does that make you feel when, when you get those positive comments? Does it help you write more, or, 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 is, it just, or is it just part of the job? Uh, it, it helps you to write more. It keeps you focused on what you do. I mean, hearing good comments about your work, I mean, it, it's an ego boost. You, you can't deny it. But I don't take it seriously. You know, I, I read the reviews. I like getting the positive reviews. But I wake up in the morning and say, I know I can write. You know, I just I try to do everything in my power to prove to everybody else that I can write. And I ha- I, I think, again, that is important. You have to believe in what you do. So the reviews are nice. I enjoy getting them. But if somebody leaves me a negative comment or a negative review, I take what they say. I look at what they say. And many times I've found that if I've done something that other people see that I could have done better, I will take what they have done and I will put that into consideration for future poems and things that I may write. Do you have any advice for for authors in general? Patience. Number one, if you don't have patience, you need to find it because the pathway to publishing, the pathway to writing, it is a slow process. You have to build a following. And the cases of the Dan Browns, even Dan Brown, it was his fifth book before he was even widely known. It is a very slow process. So I think the number one priority that a writer should have, new writer, old writer, you know, seasoned writer, should be patience. Secondly, edit, edit, edit. Do not sit down and write something in 15 minutes and just say, okay, I'm done. You have to go back. You have to proofread. And you need to go back and make sure that you have put forth the best products that you can put out there for your readers. And for the younger generation who might be coming up wanting to write and finding inspiration and needs to write, I would say don't let anybody tell you that you cannot do it. Do not let anyone tell you that it's crazy. 
If you believe in it and you believe in your heart that you can do it and you can do it well, study hard and follow your dream because it happens. You know, you can think that go for years on end thinking that you're not going to have any success at all and one day lightning can strike. Do you have any uh, specific advice for authors who are looking to possibly even take the uh, that alternative publishing path, going to self-publishing or uh, just just an alternative uh, publishing path? Again, patience. Yeah. <laughs> that is the number one. It doesn't matter which publication route you take. It doesn't matter if you're seeking the traditional route of agents or trying to get with the big-name houses in New York or if you're just going to publish America and doing it on your own. You need to have patience. You are not going to publish your book and make a million overnight. And when you publish, you write your book, you think you're done. That is, many new writers think that once the book is written, their job is done. Your job is just beginning. You have to market your book. You have to do book signings and things to help promote yourself. And it, it is important for your career as a writer to do that. So what type of things do you do to, to help promote uh, to promote your writing, your craft, and your books? I study different types of poetry and different types of writing. I'm constantly trying to learn something new, something that I might be able to use to better my craft. I have ties to major market radio in Houston, which is a plus because you can get wide exposure in the sixth largest radio market in the country. And I think that is important. You need to do interviews. You need to get out there, book signings, as I said. And any angle you can think of, however uncharted it might be, book fairs, you know, any sort of thing like that, you should do it. Yeah, so it's really about exposure. You know, make sure that, that you, you don't just sit back and wait for people to come to you. You, have you to can't be a wallflower. Yeah. And we've had conversations with, with some other authors who have said that, you know, they can sell books if they're sitting in the bookstore. Uh, but it's, you know, but you have to generate enough conversation so that, that you're not, you don't have to sit in every bookstore that, that, that right. you go into. Right. So, um, Let's go back to Under Amber Skies, uh, your your second book of poetry. Uh, tell us a little bit about the the themes that, that that we can see in there. In Under Amber Skies, which is my second collection of poetry, it lends itself more to my own beliefs and convictions than Coastal Whispers did. It covers the same topics, ranging from nature and friendship, while also incorporating a greater insight into the bereavement poetry that I right. I have been affiliated with the University of Texas Medical Branch, MICU, which is the Medical Intensive Care Unit's bereavement card committee since 2003, and my poems are used in bereavement cards that are sent out to the families of patients who pass away in the ICU. And death is a part of life, however sad it is, and people need to be comforted in situations like that, so 
and under amber skies my proudest moment and that book itself besides the fact i am more satisfied with that book than the first one just because it is my second one and i was more seasoned at that point is i am proud of the bereavement poetry that i have in the book great so what 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 goals do you have for for the next year or for maybe for the next three to five years uh, in reference to writing I hope to continue writing poetry. I hope to continue building my craft, making it better. You can always find ways to make it better. And I have written a children's book that I am currently trying to get published. And do you have a name for for that book? Simon the Snowman. Great. It is a book about a little boy who moved to a new town with his family at Christmas time. And he has his little brother, but he doesn't have any friends, and he befriends a snowman. And, and what, what, what inspired you to, to, to work on that? Well, the inspiration for that, the story was actually begun as a poem. And it was a poem that my late father dearly, dearly loved. He, he read the poem, and he said, Jill, you need to expand on this, and you need to publish it as a children's story. And it said, if you do nothing else, you have to do that. And it, it is something that I have kept offline. I have been working on it. And then when my father passed away this last June, I said, I need to do something to honor Dad. So I got with my cousin's girlfriend, and she did some illustrations for me, and... From there, I have put it all together, and now I'm trying to find an agent and publisher and following all the paths that I just discussed that we need to do. Yeah. And that patience plays a big part in it. Oh, you have to be patient. Yeah. I I was never really a patient person until I started taking my writing seriously, and then I quickly learned that you have to have patience. And if you if you have somebody who criticizes criticizes you, you can't take it personally. So many times I have seen so many writers have somebody leave them negative feedback or some form of criticism on something they've written, and they've taken it as a personal insult, or they've taken it from the standpoint of, oh, maybe I just shouldn't be writing, or maybe I shouldn't be doing this. You can't look at it that way. Everything in life is a learning experience. No one is perfect. It does not matter how hard you try. It's it's a learning experience. Every day I learn something new, whether it's with my writing, whether it's just in life in general. Every day I strive to learn something new, and most days I do. But you can't take these things personally. Take the criticism. If somebody criticizes you, walk away from it for five or ten minutes, maybe an hour or two. Go back when you've got a cool head because no one likes to see that somebody thinks that they're not perfect. Go back to it hours down the road and look back and say, if the person was right, if the person was right, you learn something. Yeah. Yeah. If the person was wrong, they're entitled to an opinion. I learned very quickly to weed through what is somebody's opinion and what is actually something that I should consider. And that's what you get, you know, through that patience that you mentioned, mentioned, but also uh, through that experience. So as you continue writing, you, you know, you know which ones to to take seriously, and the others uh, that that uh, 
may not understand the work, but but need your help in in, in pushing it a little bit a little bit further so that so that they do understand it. And then and the, the other ones that that just need to sit by the wayside. The one thing I have found, and it, it's one of the beautiful things that I see in poetry and writing, is that what one person may not like, another fifty or sixty people may. They're, everybody's different. Everybody has different likes and dislikes and tastes and views, viewpoints on things. I will be the first to admit there have been many poems that I have written over the years that I have not particularly cared for. I have put them out there for other people to read, and generally the ones that I haven't particularly cared for have been the ones that have been very popular. You know, everybody's different. Just because you think that you haven't gotten your point across or you think that you've written the best thing you've ever possibly written doesn't mean somebody else is going to feel that way. That's a good point. That's a good point. And, you know, everyone has their their ideas and reads a little bit more into a story. Uh, and and it's up to, to us as authors to even just to give them the opportunity to, to express those uh, express those opinions, emotions, and, and, and uh, ideas. So. I'm out of questions. So, so do you do you have anything, anything additional that that, that you'd like to share, or or that you've thought about over the last few days since since we've been exchanging emails back and forth uh, for for this podcast? Well, the one thing that sticks out in my mind, and it, it, it's a beautiful story that I think probably should be told in regards to some of the memorial tributes and things that I have written, and it it, it speaks volumes to a writer's inspiration and how some things are just meant to be. And I think that's an important thing to get across, too, when it comes to encouraging people to write, is my story of the BP chemical plant explosion and why that tribute came about, how that tribute came about, and what it has led me to do. So in March of... 2005, I was frustrated. My books had been published for a couple years, and because I was still building my following, they weren't making a whole lot of money. And I was frustrated. I was not to the point of giving up my writing, but I was wondering if I was ever going to have any success with it at all. And at 1.20 in the afternoon on March 23, 2005, our BP chemical plant explosion in my town, or our BP chemical plant in our town exploded, and when day was done, 15 workers had died. I knew I had to sit down and write a tribute to the victims. I had to do it, but my emotions were so raw. The scene looked just like something out of... New York City with 9-11, I couldn't form a word. I couldn't form a thought. I couldn't even think of, you know, two words to put together, let alone two words that rhymed. And two days later, I was watching a newscast, and one of the news anchors was interviewing the widow of one of the workers, and this woman had been widowed for the second time. I watched the interview and I sat down, and as I was sitting there watching the interview, words just started flowing through around my head. They just started circul- circulating around my head. Mm-hmm. And I ran to the computer, and over the course of, I kid you not, 20 minutes, I sat down and I wrote a poem, which is entitled 
15 Precious Butterflies, which is also on my Authors Den website. I wanted to do a memorial page to the victims, and I put the poem on a Word document, and I was looking for a picture to put with the poem, and I was going to bullet the names of the victims. I looked at a software disk that I had, royalty-free software disk, and there was a picture, a couple butterfly pictures, and one of the pictures, I, just, I looked at the picture, I stared at it for a couple minutes, and I said, something about this picture is perfect. And I got looking at it, and the picture had 15 butterflies in it. Four of the butterflies were pink. Fifteen workers died in the explosion. Four of them were women. And I said, this is, just, this is too wild and crazy. So I put the memorial together, and I contacted the local newspaper, and they didn't seem interested in publishing it or anything because they don't publish poetry in the newspaper. I contacted Houston Media and the news anchor who had done the interview, which inspired me to write the poem, and she was interested, but she couldn't get any interest in publishing the poem on the website from her higher-ups at the uh, TV station. So in not wanting to give up, I... uh, was able to be in touch with Dana Tyson of Sunday 99.1 Radio. She offered to read the poem, and from there, that began a beautiful path of three years of ties to the radio station and a great increase in my popularity and my website following. Very good. You know, it's, it's amazing how... how things that we think coincidence uh, just just kind of show up and and become a, a very integral part of our lives. I knew the minute I saw that picture with the 15 butterflies and the fact that four of them were pink, I, just, I sat back and I said, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is why I am supposed to write. This is what I'm supposed to do. I have a gift for writing things that can affect other people in ways that other people cannot. And from that day, I have memorialized firefighters, police officers, and most recently a fallen police officer in Houston, and I received a handwritten thank you letter from the Houston police chief. And this is what I have found as my calling since 2005, is writing these tributes to these people because these families have victims are hurting and they need all the support we can get and if i can take my craft and put it on paper and help them out then i'm satisfied very good it has to mean quite a bit that that for you to know that you're doing uh, doing something good but also uh, giving back to uh, the community that inspires you sometimes money is good every every writer wants to make a small fortune. I mean, it, it always stands to reason. You, you write books to make money. It's the good old American way. But sometimes, if you can, if you can't make money, or you don't make as much money as you would have liked, if you can do something that will pay it forward and help somebody else, then that's worth its weight in gold. Well, we wanted to thank Jill again because uh, she had some great insights for writers and for for readers as well. You can find more Jill's work at www.authorsden.com slash Jill A. Eisenagel. That's J-I-L-L-A-E-I-S 
N-A-U-G-L-E. And as we just about tie up, wrap up, and close the door on this week's podcast, we wanted to bring you your writing prompt for the week. Terry? It is about a decade after the turn of the century, the 19th century that is, gas streetlights have just started to replace the lanterns that hung along the safe paths. The city has used some variation of olive oil, beeswax, fish oil, whale oil, sesame seed oil, or nut oil to fuel the brightness overhead. They have also used street lighters to initiate the spark. Over the last month, the street lighters began lightning, lighting the lanterns later and later until one day, no light shone on the streets. No one questioned the reasons for the delay in the first place. No one worried about where they went. Random individuals would try to light the posts outside their own home, but the flame did not last. Citizens started staying inside longer and the nightly activities began to lessen. What happened to the crowds? What happened to the beacons, the mainstays of the town? Choose your characters. Choose your plot. Choose your resolution. Keep your story focused, but let it grow and light the way of your readers as they venture with you down the midnight blue surroundings. Decide on the details. Decide on the impact. Decide on the emotions to share. Post it to our website at storyinstitute.com or share it elsewhere. But write and enjoy. Thank you, Terry. And that brings us to the end of this week's podcast. So if you love writing or just enjoy hearing about it, join us here next week uh, when we'll have a new author for you. Please visit our site for upcoming schedules at www.storyinstitute.com. In the meantime, remember to imagine, enhance, and grow your stories.